to see y'all today. I am so thankful to be here with you this morning. I've brought something with me this morning, and I'm going to see if you can figure out what it is. Um, kids, this might be a challenge for y'all. I brought a bag of something. Anybody know what this bag is? If you think you know what it is, shout it out. Ash. It is a bag of ash. This is specifically a bag of ashes from my house out of my fireplace. And I brought it today as a symbol, really, of what my colleagues and my friends and my family, and especially my husband, would say is somewhat of an odd fascination of mine. Burning things. Since I was a kid, I have been in all of the power of fire. So when I was little, my dad would have this like fire pit out in our backyard every fall, and I couldn't wait for it. He would burn leaves in it. He would burn paper trash. I mean, I, I'm like, where did we get all this paper trash? And then he would have this other random stuff. And I would love to go out there, not just so I could spend time with him, but because he would always keep this little pile off to the side. You can tell this was like in the 70s or the 80s, right? And... I could pick the stuff up out of the pile and throw it in the fire to watch it burn. I loved it. Now, as I've gotten older, I will say that my fascination with fire, thankfully, has probably evolved more into an appreciation of fire. And I think that came about when I was maybe in my mid-20s or so, when I was at home one day, um, and my friend's house that was across the street, it got struck by lightning. And I spent the day while she was at work, I was at home, and I watched her house burn. And the next day, as we were walking through what was left through the ashes, I can't get, forget just how desperate and devastating those moments felt. What had been there 24 hours before was suddenly completely gone. This week, we started a time of the year called Lent in the church. And that time begins aptly with a day that is called Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a time when Christians can reflect not only on who they are, on their human nature, but as well as on who God is. And, you know, there are times in our lives when it does feel like things are in ashes. The world can seem like it is falling apart. Someone has done something to wound us or to hurt us. We've done something to wound or hurt someone. Or maybe we've discovered that somehow we've come to this realization that we are a part of some system or something that... We never even realize, but once we know it, we can't unknow it. And we feel that sting. It doesn't matter what kind of fire is burning. Whether it's a physical fire, an emotional fire, a spiritual fire, or a communal fire. They all leave behind the same thing. Ashes. Now physically, we know that ashes are what remains when something has been burned. But sometimes ashes don't even have to come from that physical fire. 
because they can be what's left when something is totally undone or destroyed. What once was is now gone. And today, I think that is the place where our psalmist is coming from. Life is in ashes. He's completely undone. And all that is left for him to do is to cry out to God. So I invite you for a moment to listen to the words of Psalm 51, 1 through 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Let's pray. Lord God, in these moments, make your presence known to us. Be with us, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear what you are speaking. Lord, get me out of the way so that your Holy Spirit may come through and join us and speak to us and guide us. Amen. Now, if we read this scripture in the Bible, if you had your Bible open and you opened it up, you would see a heading at the very top of the psalm. And it would say something about this being a psalm of David after Nathan has confronted him about his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. You know the story. If you don't, here's a very quick elevator version of it. David sees Bathsheba outside of her house, but well within its walls while she is cleansing herself. And he is struck by her beauty. And so he decides that he is going to send for her. But in the sending for her, he already knows that she is the wife of one of his commanders, one of his best commanders, who is out fighting a war on his behalf. 
And then Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And David, rather than admitting to what has happened, devises this very complicated plot to kind of cover up what he has done. And it doesn't work. So then he decides that instead of trying to work this plot, he's just going to basically plot to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. And well, y'all, that does work. So following all of this, his advisor, Nathan, comes to him and tells him this story about two men and a traveler and some sheep. And in the story, basically, the sheep, the, the rich man takes a sheep from the poor man and doesn't ask. He steals it. And because he has stolen it, which is, of course, against the commandments, against the law, the punishment for that would be death. And so David hears the story, and he says, well, Nathan, that man should die for what he has done. And Nathan looks at him, and he says, well, David, that man, that man's you. David is devastated. He, the person who is described as a man after God's own heart, is torn apart and broken as he comes to grips with what he has done. And faced with this mess of his own making, tradition tells us that this is the prayer he offers to God, a prayer of confession that seeks God's help and power. Now, when we hear this prayer, when we hear this song, it's easy for us to hear it as David's words. I mean, there's a lot of anguish and lament, and we know that David felt those things. We know his story, and we can read these words, and we can go, yep, David, that's about what you needed to be praying right there, because you really did mess up. But on the other hand, is it easy for us to hear these words as perhaps a prayer that we might pray ourselves to God. The language is intense and personal. The situations are messy. I mean, we know we've done stuff, but we have not done stuff like David did, right? There's a distance between what David did and what we did because it's always easier to look at destruction from afar than it is up close. It's more comfortable Imagine if you're at home and you're watching the news on TV and there's a natural disaster, whether it's talking about freezing temperatures in Texas or a hurricane or an earthquake, you're sitting on your couch drinking your coffee and you go, oh, that's bad. But if you've ever stood in the middle of a situation like that and you've walked through the rubble, you know the devastation and how uncomfortable those moments can be. So today, what if we take a moment, a few minutes, and we try to hear this psalm not as David's prayer, but our own? What if we draw close to it and we look at it through the lens of our own lives and enter into a conversation with it? Because I believe when we hear this psalm as a prayer of confession, 
we'll see that it expresses this vast hope in who God is, what God does, and how God calls us. And we'll hear God saying, return to me and find hope in the ashes. Now, as we've said, David's life, it is in ashes. It is a total train wreck mess. In today's context, we might say that it's a bit of a dumpster fire. Would you agree? It's a dumpster fire. He knows that he has messed up. And in the Hebrew language, there are three words for sin. Just three. And in the first two verses of this song, guess what? He literally uses every single word that is available to him to describe sin. He is in crisis mode. But what's remarkable is he doesn't complain against God and say, well, God, it's your fault. And he doesn't point fingers at other people and say, well, they made me do it. It's because of what they did that I did this. No, he owns it. He owns it and he asks God to change him. Confession acknowledges who we are before God and who God is for us. It is a daring act of hope and belief that God acts graciously on our behalf, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. It expresses a belief that our lives are lived in the presence of God and are a gift from God. And it says that we know that we cannot have a fresh start without God. David knows that. But to talk about confession, we have to have another really uncomfortable conversation first. We have to talk about a word that we don't like to talk about in church. Anybody think of a word that we don't ever talk about in church or rarely talk about? That carry a lot of currency today. Sin. When's the last time you talked about sin in church? We prefer to talk about problems. The problem of racism, the problem of politics, the problems of broken relationships, the problems of contentious cultures. Problems, by nature, aren't necessarily sins. A problem can occur because of a sin, but a problem is a broken arm or a flat tire. It is something that we can fix ourselves. Sin, on the other hand, is different. Because anything that doesn't align with God and who God is, well, that's sin. God's who-ness, God's character is the mirror that we hold things up to to see what they reflect. And God's goodness, God's goodness shows us what is sin. And David believes this. And so he searches himself and he recognizes his brokenness. But his words aren't just ones of remorse or preoccupation with guilt. Because instead they look beyond that sin to the possibility and trust in God's grace. And we can't talk about sin because we're Methodist without talking about grace. 
And so before David ever utters a word about his sin, he first talks about who God is. He says that God is merciful and compassionate and loving. He knows his sin has affected others as well as God. And in the context of that day, he knows he's broken the law, which means, honestly, he named it. He should die or at least be cast out from the community. But he believes that God can create something new out of these ashes, that God is with him. So maybe that's what it means to be a person after God's own heart. Anything or anything we do in our lives that does not fully reflect God's character or ways has the power to create division between us and God as well as the world. And when we hold these things up to the light of God and see them for what they are, we know whether or not they're sin. We don't search our souls so that we can feel bad about ourselves, but instead we search our souls so that we can honor and nurture our relationship with God because God's desire is to rescue, redeem, restore, and renew. And when we look to God's kindness and steadfast love for us, we discover that God's grace precedes our wrongdoings. We discover that it goes before us. And not only does it go before us and does it precede our wrongdoings, but it also survives our wrongdoings. It calls to us, it saves us, and it grows us. This is who God is. Grace is always there, and it allows us to move forward with God. But grace is not, it's not the end game. Grace calls us to do something. Grace calls us to a life of repentance. It calls us to a life of repentance and to move forward while learning to respond more faithfully to God's love. David wants to live differently. And he asks God to change him. But then he also promises that when he is changed, that he will share what God has done for him. And we're called to do the same. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might more clearly understand who God is. Jesus is our up-close, personal example of how we are to live. And Jesus tells us that when we believe that people will know us by our love, by the way that we live. Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, he says, you give mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's what it is to live as God calls us, to live lives that do justice, that love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And they live it in hopes that all people will experience those things. Because God values the flourishing of all people. And when we confess sin and live according to the God's ways, then we can live in that pattern. Repentance is the fruit of confession. It seeks reconciliation with God and our neighbor. 
It hopes for good for all people. Fruit expresses God's love by showing concern. It seeks to break down the walls so that Jesus can continue to work to raise up the body of Christ in unity through grace based on faith. We all mess up. We mess up as individuals. We mess up in our communities. We, we all mess up, you know, because we're human. But when we do, we can confess and repent and move forward because God is in the middle of all that brokenness saying, I love you. But our brokenness also has to be mourned. And so God makes room for lament. And David shows us this because he laments the reality of his sinful nature. And lament makes room in our lives and our communities to acknowledge what has happened and to say that we believe that God can change it, can change the situations, can change us. Lent is a good time for lament. We begin the season acutely aware of all of our shortcomings and the ways that we mess up, but as we move through it, our understanding of God's promises to renew and restore grow. But how is that? For some of us, it is discovered through the giving up or taking on of something new. Maybe we decide that we are going to give up a meal or we're going to go and serve in a new way. All the while seeking God's direction for how we are to live our lives. For others, it may be for adopting a new spiritual practice. Maybe you're reading the Bible every day for 40 days, or you're praying or journaling. And then there are ways that we can practice lament in community. There's worship services. There are times that we're invited to come together during this season in new ways. And this year, we have even partnered with five other congregations in our community to present a series of what are called Lenten Lament Walks. This is a time when we're going to invite people to share together confession, repentance, lament, and witness. And I think we have a slide for that if you want to see what it looks like. There it is. This is on the website, and I think it's going to be out in the newsletter too, that you can sign up to be a part of these walks. It's a time for us to come together and to talk about the things or to pray about the things we've lost and experienced over the past 12 months and even before. And it's our hope that as we come together as this body of Christ and all these different congregations, that we will experience the presence of God with us as we boldly express the belief that God can, will, and is doing something new. Brokenness is messy. And we know that sin and death are not defeated by us. We need fresh grace as we walk with God. We need grace so that we can live in the reality of our lives and engage in a full relationship that God offers us. And God doesn't just want us on our good days. God wants us on our worst days, just like he wanted David. It's like when you're a kid and you have a need. You're hungry, you've got a boo-boo, you've need your mom to find your shirt, whatever it is. And you go and you ask your parent, you tell them the need that you have. And why do you do that? 
because you trust that they're going to respond. That's what Lent is. That's what this relationship with God is, is that it is a time for us to give our needs and our messes and our joys to God because we trust that God will respond. God wants our whole selves. God pursues us through Jesus, and Jesus wants 100 of 100 sheep to make it home. And our value, it's not set by ourselves or by the world, but rather it is set by God who pursues us. And when we enter into this conversation with God, God's abundant mercy is revealed and changes us. It's only the creator of the world who has the power to give us a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. God sees our ashes. God sees when we are at the end of ourselves. God sees when we are broken. Often when we begin the season of Lent, we start thinking about it with the story of Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. And for me, I often think about that story as Jesus going out to discover what it means to be Jesus, God's son. So maybe we can take our cue from Jesus this year. Maybe we can go into a wilderness for the next six weeks and think about what it means to be us before God. To think about how to nurture and grow in that relationship and to experience the hope of Jesus Christ in our ashes so that we can come back to him. Today, I'm going to invite you into a time of guided prayer. I'm going to begin by offering up a short prayer, and then I'm going to ask some questions for you to reflect on in the silence before God. And then I'll close us in a prayer as the band prepares to lead us in worship. Let's pray. Most holy God, we come before you. We come before you and we know that in this season you are calling us. You're calling us to look at who we are, but more importantly, you're calling us to look at who you are and to put our trust in you. And so, Lord, in this moment, we think on these questions and we offer our prayers to you. What sins do you need to confess to God? How is God leading you to lead a life of repentance? And how is God calling you in this season so you can grow in love? God, abundant in mercy and grace and love. Hear our prayers. Make your presence known to us. Give us clean hearts and steadfast spirits so that we may share your love with all the world.
Amen.